All right, men, good morning. I know it's cold out there, but uh, not as cold as it has been, and uh, gee, by the end of the day, it's going to be like a heat wave, you know, when when it's one below, you know, gosh, uh, 20 degrees makes a big difference. Yeah, no kidding, I know Bill always uh, kind of gauged the season by whether or not he wears shorts, so didn't wear any today. Well, hey, how about that breakfast this morning? Uh, Glad uh, Tom's back. Not that last week wasn't good, but uh, glad Tom's back and uh, Jerry, great breakfast. All right, so question for you all. How many of you worked with um, intense determination and profound humility this past week on your way to uh, becoming a level five uh, leader? You know, as I was uh, thinking about that, it just seems like it's so contrary to everything that you, that you read and that you see exhibited in businesses. And then I was reminded, gee, how many times did, uh, did Jesus, you know, say, gee, you're gonna, we're going to confound the wise and... Um, you know, it's not, uh, you all don't think the way I think, and, um, you know, so that it would be just like uh, Jesus to do things different than, uh, than what we would think. So, anyway, so second half today of uh, Good to Great. Let you guys take it away. Great. Thanks a lot, Paul. Appreciate that. Thanks, guys. So, Good to Great. Did anybody see that game on Sunday? Were you watching that Minnesota-New Orleans game? My goodness. Are any of you guys Vikings fans? No. I've just become a Vicings just, fan. Just recently? Yeah. Now they're good. They beat the Saints, I mean. <laughs> they beat the Saints. Is that plucking victory from the jaws of defeat or plucking defeat from the jaws of victory? Wow. We'll see how this, this next week yeah, goes, and I then hope, we can decide. I hope Minnesota goes all the way now. They, they've had such bad luck. And then, after that, you know, a couple of interesting basketball games. Uh, I got to go to that game a couple nights ago. K-State upset number four, Oklahoma. That was fantastic. So, does this mean that K-State is better than KU now in oh, basketball? Yeah. Well, except for the fact that Kansas <laughs> overcame a 16-point deficit and stunned West Virginia at West Virginia. So, hey, we are – and with Kentucky losing, and let's see, and last night Texas Tech lost at Texas. So KU is on top of the Big 12, and K-State's looking good. We're going all the way. KU-K-State in the finals of the national tournament. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. What about, we're going to jump back to football really quick. How many of you guys have just abandoned pro football for the rest of the year? <laughs> Most of you guys. Okay. I haven't yet, but I'm glad that you have and can move on to what? other things. What? You've still got something to root for. You can root that Tom Brady and New England lose. Yes. Yeah. You can root for them. Okay. To, to Tom, Brady's, Tom Brady's 40. Yeah. He's been in the league 18 years. Yeah. Sometime he's got to lose, right? We want him to lose. You would think. So, anyway. Uh, so, oh, look at that. Hey, let's <laughs> talk about this book. This is a great book, isn't it? I can see why this is, you know, the number one business book in the last 20 years. So, uh, just to remind you, uh, how many of you were not here last year, cause, uh, last year because of weather and stuff? Yeah? Yeah, about half a dozen. 
Uh, just to remind those of you who were here and those of you who were not, were not um, the introduction pointed out that good is the enemy of great. One of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great in churches, schools, governments, and so forth is that it becomes good and stops. So um, Collins and his people did a bunch of study comparing different companies, ones like Walgreens that went crazy, that went great, and ones like Eckerd that used to be ahead of Walgreens that didn't. And when they discovered the key, they found it wasn't the leaders, the salaries, the strategy, tactics, tech, management, or motivators. So you have in this book six key reasons, the ingredients for going from good to great. Level five, leaders. Paul just mentioned that. First, who, then what. Third, confront the brutal facts. We did those three chapters last week. This week, hedgehog concept, a culture of discipline, and uh, we're not going to actually cover technology, accelerators. All that is, is, as he says, you know, you don't, it's not technology that makes you great, but once you get great, technology accelerates your, your level of uh, excellence. So uh, remind us of this uh, first one. Yeah, so this, this level five leader, if you guys remember, he goes through and there's, there's five different levels ranging from the highly capable leader. This is a person who's, he can, he can be really good, but he's not a great motivator, uh, may not be the most humble, all the way up to a level five leader, which is this one who, uh, as Paul alluded to just a little bit ago, blends, blends a couple of things, blends humility and blends an extremely strong will. And so it's interesting as we went through and looked at these different CEOs um, in the book that all of these CEOs who were in these companies from good to great, they were not the ones who were in the press a lot. They didn't have, you know, the big names. Not many people even knew them, but they were still leading these, these amazing, great organizations. Oh, because they had a compelling modesty, uh, a quiet, calm determination, they channeled their ambition into the motivate into the organization, and so as he says, the X factor of great leadership is humility, which is very biblical, right? Humility, Moses, most humble man on the face of the earth. Uh, this is a great quote. You want to read this? Yeah, level five leaders channel their ego needs away from themselves and into the larger goal of building a great company. It's not that level five leaders have no ego or self interest. Indeed, they are incredibly ambitious, but their ambition is first and foremost for the institution and not themselves. And so when we look at these level five leaders and we, we think about ourselves and the companies that we work for as level five leaders, are we more invested in the company than we are about our personal, our personal success and how we will look and how we will come out and the money that we will make and the position that we will have and how we will be in the press? but rather how that company is seen and how that company is viewed and how that company is growing, which is a huge part of this level five leadership stuff. Now the second chapter, first who, then what, sounds like it's the same, but it's a little different there because it's about um, should you focus first on um, strategy or coming up with the best product or whatever? And he says, when we began, we expected this is, the first, first paragraph, to find that the first step in taking a company from good to great was to get a new direction, new vision, new strategy. Then to get people committed, just the opposite. He says, he says the good to great executives didn't first figure out, you know, the best technique or whatever. No, they first got the right people on the bus, wrong people off the bus, then figured out where to drive it. 
And that's his famous line. We found instead, they first got the right people on the bus, wrong people off the bus, and the right people in the right seats, and then figured out where to drive it. So that's, uh, that's his huge point in this chapter. His point is great vision without great people is irrelevant. Wow. And, um, and at your tables, first question we're going to ask is, as you think about these first, as you think about the points this last week, uh, those of you who are here, uh, what did, did that remind you of anything that happened this last week? Did you think of them this week? And those of you that weren't here, how does that relate to your company? Um, so first, uh, those are the first, first two points have to do with discipline people, people, your leaders. Now we move to discipline thought. Uh, so last week, Derek, our third point was this, uh, confront the brutal facts. Yeah, we, if you guys remember here from, from last week, confronting the brutal facts, yet never losing faith. And so one of the examples that we pointed out was the AMP Kroger example, where they pretty much had the, the same <coughs> research, the same evidence that was on their side, uh, that consumers wanted bigger stores. They wanted more convenient stores. They wanted stores with many more options than just a grocery store. A&P decided, well, we recognize that, but we think our model is still going to work anyway with the small grocery stores. Whereas Kroger said, okay, this is what the consumer wants. We're going to scale our stores that way, and we're going to start rebranding ourselves. And as we all know today, Kroger's are rampant across the country in many different brandings from Dillon's to Baker's to all kinds of different um, brands, quick shops, all of that, and A&P no longer exists no. because they, they couldn't face the brutal facts and then make those necessary changes once they realized what, what reality was. Oh, yeah. Interesting stuff. And then it goes into the Stockdale paradox. Um, if you remember retaining faith that you'll prevail in the end regardless of the difficulties and at the same time confronting the brutal facts of your current reality wherever they might be. And so he was... Uh, he was POW, and he recognized, man, I am here. I don't know for how long, but he also had faith that eventually he was going to get out. And so kind of mixing those at, at the same time, juxtaposing those two um, almost seemingly conflicting ideas. Well, it didn't blow your mind. He says in there, when he was asked, who are the people, the, the American servicemen who died? How would you describe the ones who died in the camps most often? He said they were the optimists. Isn't that amazing? Those are the ones that kept saying, oh, we're going to be rescued soon. Oh, war is going to be over soon. Oh, and so forth. And, and he said, no, 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 you got to face the brutal facts. So anyway, so, and that's biblical as well. Jesus faced the brutal facts, but knew that he would win in the end. Uh, would you mind taking this, the other one here in yeah. this category? So here's jumping into the, the new ones for this week. We've got a couple. I'm going to take one, and then Jim's going to take one. But this very first one is called the hedgehog concept. Oh, this is really good. Do any of you guys have hedgehogs as pets? Okay, didn't think so. Anybody have you? Any of you have porcupines as pets? No porcupines. Okay. Well, the question is: Are you a hedgehog or a fox? Um, in his famous essay, the hedgehog, the hedgehog and the fox, Isaiah Berlin divided the world into hedgehogs and foxes based upon an ancient Greek parable. The fox knows many things, but the hedgehog knows one big thing. And so with, <clears throat> with this is, is such an interesting concept that Collins points out in the book. And he, he relates this fox and hedgehog 
idea, this, uh, this metaphor to the businesses. So the fox is typically the one who's really sneaky, really crafty, trying to find different ways to take out the hedgehog, coming up with all these different plans and different ways to do it. Whereas the hedgehog only has one plan. That's it. It's to basically curl up. <laughs> and the fox will not be able to get it. And if I almost like the, the idea of a porcupine because they have all the little spiky things. And to protect themselves, they just curl up, spike, and then nobody's going to touch them. They're, they're good to go because they have one thing that they are really good at. And so one of the things that came out in the research throughout the book is that the companies that went from good to great were not like foxes where they had many, many different plans of all these different things, but they had one key thing that they were good at. One key thing that they could even be, and we'll go into a little bit, the best in the world at, and that's what they focused on, their one primary, um, primary thing. And so they, if we go to the next one, they would ask three questions about what, what is this one thing that we can be really good at. And the questions were, what can and cannot I be the best at the wor- in the world at? So the absolute best. What can we dominate the market in? What can we be the best in the world at? And the second, what am I really, really passionate about? So what's the, what's the company? What are, what are the people really passionate about? And then third, what drives the economic engine? So what's going to get the most bang for the buck? And so what he says is that, our, our businesses and those, those businesses that went from good to great, their, their core business, the thing that they were known for, the, thing, the one thing that they were um, extremely, extremely good at, lies at the center of those three, which is, and if you guys remember, BHAG, Big Hairy Audacious Goal, um, something that became common, what, 10 years ago or so? Yeah, yeah. came up with this. And so in the middle of those three things... Is, is, is the sweet spot. That's, that's where you're hitting home runs consistently. Not once in a while, but, but all the time. And so one of those examples is Walgreens, which we talked about. If you guys remember, they started out and they were kind of in, they were a little bit in the food business, kind of. And then they wanted to create one thing that they were really good at. They didn't want to be food and convenience stores or food and some three, no, three other things. They decided, we want to be known for convenience stores, period. And so that means if we want to be known for convenience stores, one, we have to have a lot of stores. Because if we truly want it to be a, con- a convenience store, we have to make it conveniently accessible by the people. And so if you only have one or two stores, that's not going to cut it because it becomes inconvenient for those who live farther away. But as you notice, there's like Walgreens everywhere. And we went to New York these past two summers. And if you go to New York City, literally, there's a, new, there's a, a Walgreens almost every block or yeah, two. Yeah. It's everywhere. like Starbucks. It's, it's it insane. Re- yeah. It's like Starbucks. But it's or, incredibly convenient. I, yeah. Any of you live close to 29th and Gage? So, so they tell these stories about how they decided... It doesn't matter if we're only moving 500 feet. We are going to knock down a store, even if it's successful, and move it if we are able to buy land, even really close by, that's even more convenient. I remember, and that really helped me understand why in the world. Do you remember 29th and Gage? They had a Walgreens there. I see that Walgreens. 
Yeah. And, now, and so they knock that one down so they can move to the northwest corner instead of the southwest corner because it's a little more convenient. They take a bath for a while in red ink. I mean, it costs them so much money. Yeah, but this is, this is their deal. That's huge. And so they, they decided that, and they, they made a conscious choice that it doesn't matter how many stores we need to build. It doesn't matter how many people we need to employ, how many benefits we need to cover to create that convenient store locations or as many as we can, but that's what we're going to do. Oh. And so they've decided that their measure wasn't going to be, um, their, their primary economic driver wasn't going to be cutting costs on labor or building materials or anything like that, but their, their primary thing that was going to make them money was profit per product. So if, and that's why when you go to Walgreens, they don't have the cheapest stuff. And they, they do that intentionally, and they're not trying to claim that they have the lowest prices for any, anything because they're, con, they're committed to the convenience store thing, which is convenience, <laughs> not yeah. lowest price. Yeah. And so they are so committed to it that they, they know that they don't have the lowest price. But their foot tra- traffic is so high in their stores because they're every few blocks, especially in um, highly metropolitan cities where they really make that bang for the buck. And these other stores, uh, so just to review this, this, your crucial point is a hedgehog concept isn't a goal to be the best, a strategy to be the best, an intention to be the best, a plan to be the best. It's an understanding of what you can be the best at. So Walgreens, we can be the best at convenient drugstores. Kroger, we can be the best at innovative super combo stores. Kimberly Clark, we can be the best at paper-based consumer products. Yeah, and so then it turns to, to us and our personal lives. Are we hedgehogs or are we foxes? Are we wily coyote or are we roadrunners? Are we wily coyote, always trying to outsmart, have the next best thing, or are we roadrunners where our plan, one plan is let's not get caught by him and run away when we see him and we always win. Not that we need to run away from different things, but having that one concept. And so in our lives, what can we be the best in the world at? Or what can we be really, really good at? What is going to be our economic driver for our business? Or what can be our, you can kind of substitute it, what can be our life driver, if you will, for what gives us um, that longevity in in our personal lives, in our spiritual lives? What's that thing that really fires us up? And then what are we most passionate about? And how, how can we live at the intersection of those three things? So not this year, but last couple of years. On, at New Year's, uh, I've uh, encouraged everybody to, 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 to choose one word. Remember that? The whole one word thing so you could focus on one thing. Uh, you remember this movie with Curly? You remember that? Um, he's my hero. So, uh, but this is so biblical, right? One thing I do, said Paul, press on to know Christ. David, one thing I desire to be with the Lord. Uh, Rich Young, your ruler, Jesus said, one thing you lack. Uh, to Martha, one thing is needful. So um, this is a really, I think, biblical idea. And, and so I think it does help us even individually to ask these questions. Yes, how, how do we live at, at that intersection? Yeah. And then this next one, the, the culture of discipline. This is the last point that we'll cover. 
So this is moving from disciplined people and disciplined thought to disciplined action. And this is, this is pretty simple. There's not a lot to say. Well, I guess we can distinguish, Derek, about uh, between discipline and bureaucracy. The purpose of bureaucracy is to compensate for a lack of discipline and income. is a problem that largely goes away if you have the right people in the first place on the bus. Most companies, he says, build their bureaucratic rules to manage the small percentage of wrong people on the bus, <laughs> which in turn drives away the right people on the bus, which then increases the percentage of wrong people on the bus, which increases the need for more bureaucracy to control their, the people who lack discipline. And that, that's really funny. So in the book, he has these four types of organizations. And on the bottom, you know, from the... Um, from left to right is the freedom you have. If you don't have much freedom and not much entrepreneurship in your organization, but you have a high level of discipline, then you have a hierarchical organization. What organization do we know of in our country that's like this more than any other? Low level of freedom, high level of discipline. The military, right? So it's very hierarchical because uh, they can't allow a lot of freedom. But if you have a low level of discipline, and a low level of freedom, and then you're bureaucratic. Now, if you have a new organization, you're just starting up, of course you're going to have a lot of freedom and not a lot of organization, and you're a startup organization. A great organization has a culture of discipline, though. Disciplined people who engage in disciplined thought take disciplined action, and that's when you have this incredible breakthrough. Now, the question is, how do you get a culture of discipline? Well, he says, yeah, next to your to-do list, you need to have a stop-doing list. He says, do you have a to-do list? Do you also have a stop-doing list? Most of us lead busy but undisciplined lives. We have ever-expanding to-do lists trying to build momentum by doing, 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 and doing more, and it rarely works. Those who built the good to great companies, however, made as much use of stop-doing lists as to-do lists, like Walgreens, right? Yeah. So isn't this... This concept of this to do stop to do. How do you decide what to do? Yep. And isn't it based on the the hedgehog? It is. It is the single most important form of discipline is fanatical adherence to the hedgehog concept, the willingness to say, "I'm not going to take that opportunity because it falls outside those three circles." <coughs> so that's the book. That's uh, the best part of the book, right? Yeah, that's. Terrific. And as we, as we think about some of these things and for our lives, and especially as, as I think about, you know, in, in the family realm, because all of us are really busy, we all have, you know, lots of opportunities to do all kinds of different things, even all good things. But sometimes we have to learn to say no to certain things so that maybe it's a stop doing list or not taking that next opportunity to help with whatever is a good thing to help with. And how do we decide that in our families? How do we decide those things in our lives? And I think it comes back to what's most important for us. What's, what's the one thing that is really important that, that we prize more than anything? And then how can we then base our decisions? Do I do this or do I not do this? How do we base it off of what's most important? And if you guys are in... Um, if you guys are in really good organizations, oftentimes you'll have mission statements or vision statements, and whatever it is that your company is going to do, typically if, if you are actually in alignment, 
everything will be run through the filter of that mission statement or that vision statement. And if the next project or great idea doesn't align with that mission or vision, you're not doing it. Even if it is a great idea, even if it would be great and you can make a lot of money or um, get your name out there or anything like that. And you so, think maybe that's why God gave us wives. <laughs> Has your wife ever gone through like mine does? He goes, oh, really? Oh, you're playing a computer game again. I thought you said your number one goal today was to clean the garage. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. So, yeah, you, you stop doing certain things. Or really a third football game today. You've watched two. So um, so uh, let's forget that. But Not I, personal know, examples, That's right? a good organization, right? Hypothetically. So have, so, hypothetically, yeah. <laughs> so they remind you of, of what to stop doing. So we're going to ask uh, at your table. We have some great questions today. Did those first three points, great leaders are humble, you got to get the right people on the bus, face facts no matter how brute, brutal, remind you of anything this past week. Number two, by nature, are you more of a fox, juggling mini balls, always moving something new, or a hedgehog, living a simple life? Third, what were you born to do? What do you often find that you're the best at? What are you passionate about? Four, do you use to-do lists? What things do you think you ought to consider putting on a stop doing list? I know the answer to that question. Uh, next week, listen, we have a great book the next two weeks. We're all negotiators at home with our families and at work. We negotiate salaries. We negotiate a lot of things. So there's this great book. It's sort of patterned off Ken Blanchard's book, uh, famous book, The One Minute uh, Manager, right? This is a one-minute negotiator. You're going to really find this book helpful. That'll be next week. All right. Great. Can I pray for us? Please. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for always being with us. Thank you for the salvation that we have through Christ, um, the sacrifice on the cross. Help us to remember that. Help us to keep you as most important every single day. Help us with these concepts and to apply them to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.